I think love brings up a lot of fear. Um, and I think that there's a way to say, eh, that's okay, but I'm gonna keep walking toward this. Hello everyone, my name is Bob the Drag Queen. And it's me, Miss Peppermint. And welcome to Town Hall, a Black queer podcast. The podcast where we journey through a theme by sharing stories, music, poetry, and art of varying depth and hilarity. Today's episode for you is all about love. You ever been in love? That's from Illegally Blonde. Do you remember that scene from um, from Miss Education of Lauren Hill where the teacher goes, how many of y'all know what love is? Yeah. Oh, yes. And, the, and those those kids went in, honey. That, yeah. I remember that one girl, she's like, sometimes they don't know what love is. They never been in love. They never know what it's like to be feeling love. They blah, blah, blah. blah. And then and she and she just killed it. And it was like, I was depressing. like, I was like, are these two? She was like, one of the girls, like, sometimes when your boy tries to like embarrass you, but love would never do that. And I was love like, would never do that. And they they sound like New like, Yorkers. I was like, what are these New Yorkers going through? What What is the life of an divorce, eighth grade New Yorker? Clearly. <laughs> I want to find those kids and be like, what were y'all going through in eighth grade? You know what? It does. It speaks to the truth because love for a lot of people does bring up a lot of fear. There's a lot of people who are afraid to say that they love their partner. Even if they have those feelings, they wait to say the word because it just brings so much it just means yeah. so much. And I, w- I remember I was watching an episode of The uh, the Last of Us on HBO, episode three. Spoiler alert, there's two a gay couple. They introduce these two gay characters. Um, and one of the characters- There's always uh, got to be a gay in every gay. show. They're pushing it in our faces. Uh, <laughs> and one of the characters, you know, it's dystopian and it's all about being like a survivalist and sort of being alone. And there's like a zombie apocalypse. It's after the zombie apocalypse. So there's not a lot of people around and people are like fighting for survival. And so one of those guys who's fighting for, for survival lives alone and then meets this other guy. And they obviously get together. That's the spoiler. But they're uh, years later, because it, t- it takes place over years, they're together. And later on in their relationship, they're out at the garden and they're having a simple, like they plant some strawberries and they have this simple like moment where they're like eating strawberries which is like something I guess they don't get to do usually and one of them breaks into tears and says you know what until I met you I was not afraid of anything and so I think that just goes to show that there's some people like suddenly what that meant to me is he's afraid of losing the love that Mm -hmm. he had so love does bring up fear for a lot of people yeah, I think love brings up a lot of emotions for a lot of people. You know, love can really love is a quadruple, pentuple, dodeca duple uh, edge sword. Um, <laughs> it's a very big sword. Um, I love those can, words you just made up. <laughs> no, a dodecahedron is is a, is a real thing. Okay. <laughs> I'll have you know. I don't know. It's in geometry as a kid. Um, but yeah, I think that it's, you know, it's really, it's really interesting to love, but also sometimes love be making people act crazy, baby. Sometimes people in love be acting wild. Love be making people codependent. You, you, uh, Kelly Clarkson had a song that she said, I never lived before your love. I never felt before your touch. I never, I was like, this is, I feel it's giving codependent a little bit. The Listen, best, the best love just, songs are codependent. I was just thinking about, um, how. And I, because I'd heard this, but I don't really know. I never really did any research on it. How apparently, allegedly, I heard uh, that in the ancient times, in ancient Greece, the uh, they would have paired two soldiers up 
who were lovers, like get two male soldiers as lovers, because that would make them fight uh, more ferociously in, you know, for their lover. And they would pair them up as like combat partners to go out into the battlefield and they would defend each other and, and all of that. What if you, you pair up? You're like, you're like, this nigga ain't even sexy. <laughs> I ain't even like him. He ain't even cute. I'm killing myself. This nigga be snoring. He, he ain't cute. I ain't fighting for him. You know, uh, in fact, Sparta, he over here. Sparta, Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so what, today's what, episode what? is all about love. Well, my name is Seth Michael White. I just moved to LA back in July. I just started to date this month. So I had to really like, you know, moving to a new place is always like, you know, it's, it's always difficult. So I had to learn to date myself here. And so what that looked like, that looked like me taking myself on self dates. You know, it was like I would, I would do with myself what I wanted to do with, what I would l- love to do with somebody else. Like, I took myself to the uh, to the Getty, to the Getty Villa. I took myself to movie screenings and movie premieres. Like if I'm with somebody like in the future, you know, um, it's like I want to be with them because I want to be with them, not because I need to be with them because I need to see all these cool experiences and do all these cool things with them because I did it for myself already. But yeah, dating has been interesting here. I actually one of my first I guess real date with uh with the guy that I was talking to on Hinged, <laughs> um, and I kind of told him that I was coming on this podcast, uh, and um yeah we started we met on Hinged and we were talking for uh like a few weeks and then like I I was just like what is the point of these dating apps if like isn't the point to like meet up and like actually see where things go in like in real life like IRL like I was just like let's go do something like let's go to a movie and. I know that's kind of weird to like your, make your first date like a movie theater where like you can't really get to know them and like you're like in a dark space for like two hours or whatever it is. We went to go see The Whale, which is like <laughs> super depressing <laughs> for a first date. <laughs> and so we have been talking consistently prior to meeting up um, on like texting and stuff like that for about two weeks. So I felt really comfortable um, meeting up with him. Like I was actually like, oh, I really want to like see if if this person is is as good as they seem like via the interweb or whatever and right from the get-go like i pull up to the movie theater and like i'm walking up to the theater and he's standing there waiting and like instantly it was like he like pulled me in for like this warm embrace and it was like we had like known each other like it just felt supernatural but then obviously like it's like okay like that was nice and so i want to see them again and so now we're like on like the follow-up phase. Like we're supposed to hang out this week. I don't know. I've been in relationships in the past where like it, they were either at relationships of convenience or relationship. Like it was like I needed, you know, I wanted somebody to save me. I wanted somebody to take care of me. I wanted somebody to give me the things that I never got when I was a kid. It was about two years ago. I met this guy in this like in this uh, fellowship, that community that I'm a part of. And it was like the first time that like, I had been wooed basically one night. He was just like, go outside your apartment door right now. And I was like, what the hell? He was like, he was like, be outside your apartment at 7 PM. And so I walk outside my apartment at 659. I walk out onto the curb and like this fucking like, can I curse on this show? Okay. <laughs> my, um, like basically this, this car, like, you know, pulls up in front of my apartment and 
he's like texting me he's like get in the car and i get in the car and like it's this driver who like take then takes me from like my apartment which at the time was in best eye to um downtown like by by bam by brooklyn um academy of music and so i go down to we go down to, i go down to this this restaurant and it's this cute little italian like restaurant with like candlelight and we have this beautiful dinner and he's like you know we're like it's 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 so romantic and it's like something that i've never experienced like i never knew that that was the kind of uh that was the kind of courting that i deserved you know like then we went to a movie and we like went back to his place and it was just like that our whole entire dating experience for the six months that we dated it was only like very short right like six months that we dated it was all of that it was like trips outside the city to upstate new york where we would go to a cabin and then like go on a lake and like i was i had never dated someone before and like i was so curious i was like so what are we doing he's like we're getting he's like dating is like the getting to know phase we're getting to know each other and I'm like, this like is like a lot, <laughs> you know. I'm not used to dating, like you know, like actually going on dates out in public. I'm used to like the whole Netflix and chill, you know, smoke a little weed, you know, chill in the in the cut, like very private, very like, you know. And then the next morning, like we walk out the door, we walk our separate ways, and then we might do it again another like in a, in a couple of days or so. Like that to me was what dating was. I like. I didn't know that I could be out in the world with this person that I'm romantically attracted to where we can hold hands and we'll cross the Brooklyn Bridge and like sit on the Brooklyn Bridge in the rain and like have somebody sit across from me and tell me like, you know, I tell them all my deepest, darkest secret things, things that I think are going to like scare them away. And they're like, oh my God, that makes me want you even more. Like I had no idea that that existed until this, this person that I was dating. What ended up happening, if I'm being honest, was that like they wanted me to commit to them in a way that I wasn't like I wasn't sure at the time that I could like I was like I don't know if this is like I don't know like, I know this is something that I've never experienced but I don't know if this is something that I can handle or at this point in my life and they were like well I need to know I need to know that if we're doing this we're doing this and I can't wait around for you to come to, to decide and so we went our separate ways and um uh you know for months afterwards like we would still stay in contact and like we like tried to like you know get closure as people say like and it's like what is closure <laughs> you know like you know so we would just text each other randomly or like you know sometimes facetime or whatever and this went on it was like the longest breakup because it was like two years of just like cute text messages here and there pictures like i would walk down a street and see his like last name on like a street corner or on a sign or something and i would take a picture of it and send it to him or it was like we would send each other songs that came out in the last two years that reminded us of each other. Or like I was always constantly trying to like remind him that he was on my mind. Um, and I thought by him reciprocating that or being open to that, that uh, that there was hope that maybe we can still rekindle this thing. And like, you know, I haven't met anybody, anybody since him that made me feel that way. And so... Uh, you know, and one day he basically was just like, hey, like, if every time we text, it's like you have this hope that, like, we're going to get back together, then I don't think we can do this anymore. Like, we need to, like, just cut it dry. And I'm like, like, you're the one that's, like, texting me and, like, you're the one that's asking me, like, how my day is going. Like, what is your point in doing that if you don't have the desire to be with me again? Like, what are we doing? And so um, it was actually recently that I, like, finally, like, 
you know, back in December, actually, I like, I like finally was just like, okay, it's never like, he conveniently told me that he was in a, in a new relationship and that he was like, Hey, so I'm just so you know, like, I know we've been texting for a little while. Um, and we just started texting again, like back when I moved to LA. So I was like, oh, I'm 30,000 miles away. Like he's back in New York. I'm here. We can be friends again. We can like start to like see where, you know, we can meet in the middle at. We started texting and, you know, sending each other pictures and just catching each other up on our lives. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm in LA now. I'm like popping now. So now do you want me? Like <laughs> not without, and in, in so much words, I've, I said those things like, Hey, like, so I'm in New York now. Like I've done some healing. Like, like, is it possible? Like, I know I'm so far away and you're so far away, but maybe we can do this again. Like, and by the end of it, by December, I just realized that like, okay, like, this is not my person, you know, and I would love them to be, but maybe that relationship service served its purpose, which was to just show me what was possible. Show me what I did deserve out in life. And like, I didn't deserve boyfriends in the past who, you know, who I only slept with once out of the whole year we were together. It was either like a group situation or they were always trying to bring somebody else into the picture. It was always like this like thing that like, I was like, are you my boyfriend or are we just like, friends who had sex one time <laughs> like and so um yeah it's like I feel like I had that breakup definitely it was the longest breakup it was like I finally feel like I'm over that person I can honestly say that like and that's why I started that's why I put myself out there on the dating apps this past month to like date and want to like you know it's like I finally I'm over that like I feel like that person's like doesn't have a hold on me anymore. It's like, okay, I needed to make space for something else to come in. You can learn one or two things from a relationship. You can either learn what you want and what you don't want. And I feel like that relationship taught me what I wanted. What I want out of a relationship today is closeness. Like I want to feel close to you. I want to feel, you know, and granted it's hinged. And like, I'm, I went into it not with the expectation of like meeting my like husband, you know, but, I'm just open to the idea. And I guess, you know, it's like what they say. You got to like kiss a bunch of frogs before you find your prince. So I will tell my younger self that I'm the prize and that I don't have to move to the world with this desperation and this longing and this craving for somebody else to like give me all the things that I already possess inside and like all the things that I can give myself. Uh, Miss Mint, yeah, I, I, I am one of the hosts of the Emmy Award winning, winning show. We're here. I am gonna brag about that. Emmy and Glad I mean, Award winning show. To. We're here. I have a lot of drag kids from that show, and you, you know, it's like that to be a a, a television drag mom. <laughs> um, Much and, to my chagrin, <laughs> <laughs> and several of my drag kids. One one of my drag kids uh, was from uh, Selma, Alabama, who I still talk to this day. Her name was Akila Akila Blue. And she's just this really amazing, like, truly, I love the, the phrase tastemaker because she truly is a tastemaker in the Selma, Alabama area. She raised mm-hmm. several, she's a, she's a, um, a very proud um, out trans woman who raised several women to be women through her community outreach, what she does through dancing and through um, choreography. And you ever, you ever, you ever seen, you know, sometimes in, um, in black neighborhoods, there'd be like that one person who teaches kids how to dance and they have like these like street dance troops. So Akila, I was be, that person in my neighborhood, and Akila was that person in um, 
in Selma, yeah. Alabama. So it was really amazing. It was the first time I had ever seen um, a black straight man openly loving a black trans woman on television. It was really remarkable. And I'm really excited to share a little bit of their story with you all today. Hi, I am Akila Blue. And I am Derek. I go by D. I am a, whew, the list is long, dancer, choreographer, songwriter, rapper, um, actress. Um, yeah, so uh, basically a triple threat here. I have always wanted to entertain. I, it's been crazy. When I, when I first saw... I was in middle school and I went and I was being a part of being a part of a marching band and I sent the dancing girls, the majorettes. And when I saw though, when I saw that I was already dancing anyway, but when I saw that and the level of happiness that it gave people, it just like, I had to learn that craft for one. And then it just led me into like performing. Honestly, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't realize that until like when I would be performing the bigger the crowd, the more it drives me to just, it's, I don't know. It's just something I think I was born with, honestly. Every time she's performing, I'm going to like always smile. I'm always like rejoice from it because I know where it's coming from with her, you know, like that's, this is her passion. I, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. So, you know, it was, it was really hard, you know, growing up there, you know, you, you know, you couldn't be, a certain way around certain people. So, you know, it's a lot of trauma in my story. I, I ended up, I was 17 and I had two children. And, you know, I had, I was dealing with that on top of, you know, not being ready to be a father, you know, at that age. And I ended up, you know, not being able to handle a lot of things in life, you know, that was thrown at me. And then, you know, I, I didn't have my mother and my father, but my mother was there. But my father, he just wasn't completely there. And I was raised by my grandmother. So, you know, um, the path I took was being out on the streets a lot, you know, really rebellion at first because I didn't understand life. But as time went on, you know, the drugs really um, showed me you know, I I was able to overcome that habit and really like just appreciate life more because I see so much devious things on, on when when people was you know when people are desperate and in their in a different mindset and you know people do whatever just you know to fulfill that need. So I had a chance to watch a lot of evil things and see a lot of evil activities and I didn't allow it to change me. You know, I I still, I've been through a lot. You know, I have been overcoming being bullied while on drugs and, and still trying to, you know, make the best out of my days. Um, a lot of people, they feed off of, of your energy. You know, I was, I wouldn't say I was a bad person. I was always nice, I was giving. And there's certain things that you can't do when, you know, you're in certain situations and that and drugs and when people see that you're nice giving, it would just turn to that till people are wanting to take and you know, and it 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 just showed me a lot going through that. And I was able to kick the habit because I realized that, you know, I have children and, and I want them to be able to see their father. I want them to be able to, you know, know that I'm here for them whenever they need me.
I never seen the love from my father with my when it comes out to my children. So it's like I want to be able to express that and show that to them. And it's like the love that I have for Akila, like me and her been like this since since day one. So it's like the connections always was there in the signs. You know, I'm a firm believer in signs. And we had so many signs that was leading us to, you know, at least be there for each other. Even when we first met, you know, um, I was going through things when we first met and she was going through things. And, you know, we talked for about a good two months. But at the, at the same time, we we was going through, we were struggling. Like, I'm not, I'm, we were struggling. We was, um prostituting and and things like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to really speak on it, but, you know, we was doing what we had to do to survive, you know, and I, I didn't have my family like that. So for me, I was, of course, born male, and but I never, ever felt that. The, my sister, who y'all heard, she was the first one to ever know that I was, like, totally different. When I was born, there were boy toys, but when she was born, then here came the girl toys. So I wanted to play with the girl toys. And so she knew that. And so we would be playing. And then I used to get whoopings when they would catch me. Um, my father would whoop me. And so it got to the point that she would lock the door. You know, as life kept going, it was like certain things that would happen. Like, I just always knew. Like, the first time I seen Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody video. Like, I just knew. Like, I... I knew, like I, I learned it. I wasn't. Every time it came on, I got up. Like I remember this, you know. So at first it was okay, and then it became not okay. Every girl song that I liked, it wasn't okay for my father, and so it just got to a point where just like through through my childhood, it just started getting beat out of me. Like at first it was no, then as I got older, it was just beatings. Every time I would scream, if I saw a bug. I'll get a whipping. My, when me and my brother was growing up, he'd get mad and he'd call me RuPaul. My daddy would whip him for calling me that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then if I, I, I would be like, it's okay, I want to be RuPaul. Then I got a whipping. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was like just going through my childhood. It was that's how it was. And then I got to like to to school, and like by that time, my dad was like, I was, I started giving in. I did give in. I gave in and I started acting like a boy because that's what everybody wanted me to do. And I got tired of getting whoopings and getting beat up for it. But it didn't matter because even when I did act like a boy, I still got beat up. In high school, um, I was always the one to get beat up. I was always called faggot. Everything was because like my face. You know, my face has always been this. I don't have any work on my face. So it's just like always been like this. High school was so bad for me, I quit. I walked in, I fought all the way up into 11th grade. The first week of 11th grade, I walked up in there and I had my first fight and I just like, no. I am not gonna keep fighting, this is crazy. Just to go to school, like I'm not. And this was in Detroit, Michigan. I joined the, the gay community in, D, in Detroit at like 14, but then I was like full time at like 16 because I had quit school. Um, and then I was like a J-setter. That's how I learned how to dance. I learned how to J-set buck. 
Um, and then I just started going to competitions and pretty much like the gay scene just like became my life. But even still, like as a butch queen, because that's what I was at the particular time, it just was not enough at all. I, I lived through most of my 20s like that. It was just, it was, but it wasn't enough. I always, like every time I had a chance to like get in something that was female, I did. I will always strive to like live at home by myself so that I can have like certain lingerie pieces on that I would walk through the house with, you know? And then after a while, I just got to a point, like I just, I just couldn't anymore. I was, I was in a relationship and this person was in love with me. He was in love with a person that I pretended to be every single day. So, you know, that turned out terrible. Then like I broke up with him and then like right after that, my mama popped up with brain cancer. I just dropped everything. I started taking care of her. And as I'm taking care of her, in the cancer house, I realized that I can no longer continue on in this form. I have to transition and be who I need to be because I only have one life. Because I had to stay in the cancer house with my mom because I was her caregiver. It just made me realize, like, oh, you are wasting time. What you going to do? Because it looks like, it seems like the clock is ticking whether you know it or not. How we met was I was leaving Selma. I transitioned. I, you know, I was going back and forth to Atlanta, and then I realized that I cannot stay up under my people. I had grieved real bad by my mom's, my mother's death, and it, and it kind of, like, made me go down. But then after that, I just had to, like, get out, and so I did. And I did not, I was I was doing lifting stuff. I wasn't planning on prostituting, but then it was just, like, it got to a point to where people would meet me and just give me money in Atlanta. Like, they was just giving me money, so I started that, and... It was it was it was something that I didn't want to do, but at the point I had to do because I just I had to like build my life back up, and nobody was letting me work in a working place comfortably. That don't work, so I just started prostituting, and then I met him. He was doing it, which is common in Atlanta, but it was just something about the way we kept. Wanted to see each other. We both had things get going on. Like I wasn't looking for no relationship. She wasn't looking for no relationship. So it was like um, when we would speak, it was just like, "Hey, you know, how you doing?" And then it, it went from that to, "Hey, let's hang out a little bit." And then when we started hanging out, actually, it was like, "Oh, we yeah. never spent another night away." Yeah, the like first day we spent the night, November sixth. It's a different vibe. We never spent another. <laughs> It's a, it's a different vibe. It was for just could even like and at the, even at the time we were still trying to like make our money right and, mm-hmm. and, and and shift our days to the point it was just like okay we got to get up you right. got to go I got to go and I believe in signs you know but didn't want to go so we just slowly but surely started losing our clients day after day with us anymore yeah it was you know it was it was <laughs> just it was they could tell it, it was always you could tell you could you could tell. You know, at the time we was forced to have sex with people. So we, it was so enjoyable because we didn't even want to have sex with each other. We were so into like literally talking, talking because when you're doing that, there is no talking. Right. You know, yeah. so the fact that we could actually talk. Actually say we got to know each other first. You know how people want to get to know somebody before a relationship. Like we, I can honestly say we did that. Yeah. Too much and, strong. And to have, and to, and to do that without sex not knowing, but when everything came to to come, it was everything was just still perfect. Yeah, that's how it kind of pretty much went. Like 
everything was still perfect and, and like the science was all there it was just like sign up everything sign up everything that she was into i i was kind of like into you know we eat food. we eat a, a like we, i like to eat a lot of fresh vegetables and he does too because he's from miami and fruit so yeah. those things like fruit. couldn't hit hard and then like the fact that we believe how what how we believe in life and how we move in life you know right and how we treat people too like Doing the prostitution, we I learned from him how he treated his clients versus, you know what I'm saying? He just wasn't a mean guy no matter what. Even if they was trying to play him, he just wasn't a mean, you know. So I seen the good in him and I could see that because I knew what I was here for, what I was doing. So it was just like to see him being so generous and gracious in these type of gringy situations, I, I knew that energy. I understood it. You know, so it was like that too, and then it's just. And we had a lot of um, similarities yeah, in our in some, our names, similarities just, in the name thing. It was just like a lot of things we couldn't really point. We we just couldn't really just point out off the top because it's, it was so many. It was literally like one after another. Like like she her her mom name is Rose, and like my my aunts her name is Rose. Like it was so much like it was just like different little things we started seeing within each other and within yeah. each other's family. You know, like things that we liked it. Like it was his like, mother wow. reminds me of my mother. Yeah, like his mother like, looks wow. like my mother. It's crazy. Things like were, Yeah. <laughs> things were so like unbelievable. And it's like, you know, even when I see her mom, I was like, I swear I've seen her before. It was just so much, so much things that kind of like pointed us in the direction to like yeah, y'all, y'all are meant to just, you know, come come together and you know see where it goes. Type. We know where we come from. We know, like when we met each other, I was sleeping in a hotel, living in a hotel, and he was also living in a hotel. We were both depending on our sugar daddies and mamas to take to pay our bills. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we come from that to like we are. We have had stability. We built. We were we were allowed to grow. We prayed together. We struggled together. Like everything we have done yeah, that has yeah. helped us grow has been doing it together. Yeah, has been doing it together. And that's I've never experienced that before in my life. And I've had relationships. Okay, he has too. But it's right. it's it's always been a like, yes, Pascal. Something around the corner is there to save us, to help us, to push us further. You know what I'm saying? Like we have two thriving well not thriving but they're in position to be thriving but they're they work you know i'm 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 a i'm a whole drag performer and i can get booked now thanks to hbo you know and that helps with us he yeah. is able to get his line stuff and it's slow right now but come spring like right, he right. brings in the money from spring <laughs> all the way until it's over you know and so it's just we was never in a position to own these things. We put our right. heads together. We worked together. We put our minds together. And everything that I came up with, everything that he came up with, we put it in a pot and made it happen together. Like, it's never, it's, and I've never been able to do that with anyone. Right. To all of my young trans sisters and brothers, um, and just like the younger me, like a, a, a girl coming up that's trying to, understand herself and be herself and everything like that. Like I, I, I just would say, please be strong. 
and and make sure that you know that you to just like always know who you are, no matter what people try to deter you to say or be always, always be strong and always know yourself. And if you want a family, like strive for it. Don't give up because I'm not. We're not. I, don't, I believe love can be so big, so big and so small to certain people. But me, I I use love in so so many different ways. But when it comes out to Akila, I just I, I mean, I, I love her deeply, like inside and out, like everything about her, you know. We met when I was 21 and he had just turned 18. I had recently gotten divorced from my first husband um, way back when. Uh, he was much, much older than I was, and it was a very, very not good uh, situation. But it led me to meet my current husband, and I'm very, very grateful for it. But yeah, so we met 19 years ago. We've been together 19 years, and um, I met him in an ad. Um, I don't know if you people even do these things nowadays, but I met him in a newspaper ad. And then we started talking online. Uh, we talked for about three weeks and he just kept asking me out and asking me out. And I saw a picture of him and I thought he was cute, but I really wasn't interested in like dating anybody. Well, first of all, he lied to me and told me he was older and I'd never been with anybody that was my age or younger. You know, he told me he was 21 and I thought that was kind of weird, but you know, his voice sounded kind of hot and all that other stuff. So I went with it. Um, we talked for a while. Um, he kept asking me out like on actual dates and I kept saying no. And one day I just, I finally said, yeah. And I let him take me out and I meet this guy and I look at him like in person and I'm like, oh my God, this is a child. He is not, this is not a man. He is not 21. He is a boy. He looks like he just graduated high school. Uh, he opens up the door to this crunchy old car and uh, proceeds to take me on this date we go to this club um a bar club in a small town that we were both raised in and he's just like ordering drinks and just throwing them back and i'm looking at this guy like uh okay and then he tells me after about 20 minutes he goes well i'm, su I'm sure you've assumed or you've gathered that i'm not 21 i'm like yeah how are you drinking he goes well i know the owner's here and you know, they they hook it up. So I'm a little irritated because I know he lied and whatever. But he is cute. So, we, you know, kind of just let the date continue. It was a really interesting date. I mean, I'd been on quite a few at that point in my life. And um, I came out pretty early. Not early, but early-ish. And it was a very interesting date. Uh, he kind of just spilled his whole life story in that two hours. Everything. The, the deep stuff, the hard stuff, the weird stuff, the funny stuff, the sexy stuff. And I was just flabbergasted. And I just, I was thinking to myself, oh my fucking God, this person is out of his goddamn mind. And I have to know more. Um, so I took him home and uh, we had probably the best sex I've ever had. And he moved in the next day. Um, I don't know what that says about me and my mental state at the time, but you know, I was, it was, oof, it, it was good. Um, yeah. So he moved in the next day and we have not been separated. Uh, we've been together ever since. We had a crazy first seven years of 
just trying to figure each other out. And um, I was extremely independent. And after my, after my marriage, um, I went, I just doubled down on my career and finishing college and just making sure that no one else could ever take anything away from me again. That made me extremely independent, which I'm grateful for, but it also caused a lot of, caused a lot of issues between the two of us. We grew up in the same religion, which is extremely obscure. Not many people are in this, or not, not many people know about this religion. It's obscure, it's oppressive, low-key, culty. So we had those kinds of foundations to, to kind of tether our fucked upness. I don't know. I don't know what you'd say, but yeah. Uh, so that was one thing. Uh, we have the same last name, which was creepy as hell. Uh, both of our dads are from Central America, and it's a very common last name, but you know, you just don't expect someone that you randomly meet on the internet to have the same last name, to be raised in the same religion. Um, and I think the thing that kind of sealed it, sealed the deal, put the nail in the coffin is he is younger than I am, and, but um, he actually spent a lot of time with my family in our churches. Um, and he knew my brother, my cousins, my grandparents. Um, so when I met him and I took him home finally to meet my family, they looked at me and I'm like, oh, yeah, we know him. We know him from such and such program. So, you know, I had no idea. He had no idea. But what it really did for me in that moment was kind of cement that he was my person. Um, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't put real words to it. Uh, but I knew. I've always known. Um, so, yeah, we've been rocking for a very long time. And. We are nothing alike. Those two things that I mentioned, uh, us being raised in the same religion and us having the same last name are where our similarities kind of uh, start and stop. Uh, we are complete opposites in every every sense of the word. Um, but he is my everything. He's my rock. He is the, the weight to my levity. He is the 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 light to my dark the dark to my dark to my light he is my balance he's my everything he's my best friend my worst enemy because he gets my fucking nerves sometimes child but you know i think that if he was not in my life um i don't honestly don't think i would be here and i could say that with a lot of certainty um because i never saw my life after my husband or during even my husband i had wasn't able to see my life past a certain age I'm going to get emotional. Um, so I really do credit him for saving me, for helping me know, like really, really know that there is somebody out there to love you. And it, never, it doesn't look like how you think it's going to look. It never does. It's everything to me. And I would be the luckiest person, the absolute luckiest person, if I get to see even 19 more days with him let alone 19 more years. I'm so sorry, I'm crying. Um, hopefully someone can see, hear this, and, uh, and know that love is possible. Uh, My name is Liza Dye. I am a Los Angeles-based comedian with the hopes of one day returning to my beautiful brown and black and queer Brooklyn. So I moved to New York after college and was coming out. And that was when I had my first experience with a, with another black woman. And it was incredible, you know. And when I moved to Brooklyn, you know, a lot of 
the other queer black girls kind of like made fun of me and they were like oh lies only likes white girls lies only dates white girls and that wasn't true it was just that you know the reality of my situation was coming from South Carolina being a queer black woman from South Carolina it was just like there just weren't a ton of other queer black women in the same spaces that I was in you know in theaters and like concerts and these music halls and stuff you know so it was I was really removed from my own community in a in a strange way so when I got to Brooklyn, I was so enamored with just all of these beautiful black lesbians and queer women. They were professionals and they worked in finance and on Wall Street and they worked at Logo Television. And and they just I just never seen anything like it, you know, except for on the L word, which I watched like right around that time, like a year or two before that, when I was still in Charleston in South Carolina. And I was blown away by that. And that is what really opened my eyes to like lesbians, like just that terms lesbian and I then went on to like start a lesbian Instagram account where I just sort of like really honor and just give homage and respect to these like women that are risking their lives to be out and you know these like Kristen Stewart's and Kaylani's and Janelle Monae's and you know I'm very grateful for them but anyway I moved to New York and 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 you know became a uh, inducted into you know the local black queer lesbian scene in in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy and I just had never seen anything like this in my entire life I was so blown away I just was in like a honeymoon phase there in Bed-Stuy and in that beautiful you know black queer space and I just it's so underground and it's so exclusive and you know, the internet was really social media kind of had just started to really take hold. You know, back then, Instagram was still like a photography based app and people were just kind of getting into their profiles and like turning their profiles into like what MySpace and like stuff used to be. And I think it was still maybe like a Vine type beat. So, yeah, even social media looked so different when I was sort of coming out and experiencing that. But I was still able to like network and find other like black lesbians and like black queers. Uh, and I'm so grateful for the Internet, you know, like queer boomers and our Gen X's and older generations. They didn't have that. They had to be out at bars and clubs and like using her story, personal ads and writing letters and shit like, you know, so I'm so grateful that technology made it like a little bit easier for us to like find each other and stuff, you know. And so so all the black girls in Brooklyn were making fun of me because my hair was still relaxed, you know, and they were like all the black girls there were natural. This is probably like 2011, 2011 or 12. And so they're like, lies only dates white girls. And I'm like, no, that's not true. I really, you know, I I, I create I want, you know, that experience. I, obviously, I want to be with somebody that looks like me. And, you know, so we have similar shared experiences. So they're like the joke of the friend group is like, we're going to hook lies up with a black girl. You know, there's this Michelle, one of my favorite Michelle Obama memes from the like bring our girls back era. Somebody like photoshopped the sign and it says like, we going on God, we're going to get you some dick, sis. Like that was my friend group. They were like, on God, we're going to find you a black woman, Liza. And they did. And she was beautiful and amazing. And I never looked back. It's so, so true what they say, you guys, once you go black you start doing crack i'm just kidding you never go back damn has anybody ever said that before maybe edit that out that might not be a good look anyway i moved to la actually wait how can i skip over my insane traumatic near-death experience 
But that's not what this is about. But I can't get into my accident without eating up all the time. Anyway, I almost died. Blah, da, 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 da. I moved to L.A. And the first person that I encountered like romantically was a white girl and she ended up being Italian, which was news to me because in my Southern black mind, Italian is like, um, you know, spicy white, like olive skin. And this girl is like natural beach blonde, lily white hair. We would call that lily white in South Carolina. And I was like, Mm, God, what is this game? You know, they say God has a sense of humor because I was like so enamored with this girl. I'm absolutely still in love with her to this day. And she was the one that got away. But because of the culture shock that I was experiencing coming from Brooklyn and having my first experience with a, another black woman, finally, you know, getting to gentrified ass LA and then like, the perfect white woman falls into my lap. Of course, it was like a lot for me to deal with. I'm in a new city. I'm making new friends. So needless to say, that did not work out. But I applaud myself for being upfront with her the whole time. I was very clear about all of this. I think, I hope, if my memory serves me correct. And I did tell her, you know, like I... I'm only interested in dating women of color. I only want to date a black woman. You know, I just had my first experience with a black woman and I'm not really trying to backpedal and pussy pop. You feel me? <laughs> I'm not trying to backpedal and pussy pop on the ancestors out here. Like, no, God, we made progress. Yes, we can. So that is my Los Angeles dating experience as a black lesbian, as a black disabled lesbian. You know, I just really, really am longing for Brooklyn and black queer Brooklyn and just seeing other gay black people outside on the street corners. You know, I kind of have to be on the east side of L.A. I don't have a car. And this is kind of where all the comedy clubs that I usually do stand up at are the Satellite, the Virgil, Hollywood Improv, it's just east side-ish, you know. And yeah, it is just a real bummer. But glass half full I'm a very like glass half full type bitch and from what I hear dating is just ass in LA in general maybe not even LA maybe the entire world so I don't want to reduce this to like oh I can't find anyone to date because I'm a black lesbian and there's no other black lesbians in LA which is tea because it might be true I think it's just me and Lena Waithe but if you are a black lesbian in LA and if you're single and if you're not a Pisces, please hit me up. Uh, okay, so one thing that I love is the theater. And I think that so many queer people have a relationship to the theater. Theater can be a safe space for queer folks. Mm, and yes. even though that's true, we don't get a chance to hear from Black artists who have a relationship to the theater as much. You know, it's professional theater in the United States is still predominantly about white stories by white artists. A lot of the Black stories on Broadway are written by white people. I would think people realize this. I think y'all, I think people in these streets think that Dreamgirls was written by... By Black folks. By a bunch of Black folks. I think people think that Once on this Island was written by a bunch of Black folks. I, I don't think people realize that Tony Kushner wrote Carolina Change. Like, like, y'all. Even a lot of the black stories are are written by yeah, by white which people, is why you know? specified by yeah black folks. That's the rarity. 
And so I'm really excited to bring to you, to our podcast, Atu, who is going to tell you all about his relationship to the theater. Now, several times in this uh, story, Atu will mention a guy named Jeremy. We're talking about Jeremy O'Harris, who is the the amazing playwright behind uh, Slave Play. Also, if you're a film buff, wrote Zola as well. Um, so that's what you'll be hearing about. I'm Atu Blankson Wood. I am an actor and moving into the space of like directing and doing some writing as well. Yeah, but primarily I, I perform. It is probably the original and like deepest love of my life. It formed me in a lot of ways. I, as a kid, I was really shy, very introverted, and I come from a big family. Um, I'm one of five kids. Uh, my grandmother also lived with us growing up. We had a cousin living with us. You know, my parents were there. So come from a big, noisy house. And so my way to deal with that was to sort of like go in in a lot of ways. But acting and theater really brought out this like this force that wanted to take up space. And I really felt like I had, yeah, I had uh, room to do that. So, yeah, I I... I love being an actor, you know, as hard as it is. <laughs> um, I was such a soft kid. Like, I was really sensitive. And I I loved, you know, art and all, sort of all those things they associate with being, like, a soft boy. <laughs> um, I was a very much that kid. Um, definitely liked to sort of disappear into my imagination um, because, you know, oftentimes because of that softness, I was getting a lot of like, in school, there was a lot of bullying, you know, and at home there was a lot of like, get in line. There was a lot of sort of messaging. I was getting that my natural ways of being were like, um, not right. There is a sensitivity that I think actors need to have, like a real sense of empathy. And what was happening in me as a kid was like a learning about how to live heart forward um, and live in a way that allowed me to empathize with people's stories and with their backgrounds, where they came from. I always wanted to see the humanity in people the first time I really like remember that I was in a performance and like up until I was about eight years old, it kind of felt like I, whenever um, I was performing, it was just like a game I was playing, right? And then there was like this moment when I was eight years old, we did the, the school musical was Johnny Appleseed and I was double cast as Johnny Appleseed, second act Johnny Appleseed. I had to split the role with my best friend. Mind you, the first act, Johnny Appleseed, was fully biracial. And like, I am a dark-skinned Black person. <laughs> I, um, as Beyonce says, Jackson 5 nostrils, you know, all of that. I'm like, really, it's, I'm giving you Mother Africa on my face. So, you know, we were eight years old. So like our ability to suspend disbelief was really, really, we were very good at it. It was the first time I was like on a stage and there was an audience. And I just remember afterwards sort of being like, I did something that meant something to people and I felt so good doing it, you know? And uh, 
So I just continued to try to find ways to perform in in the musicals and I was good. So like the teachers were really like, oh, he's got it. He's got it. Like they were really active about making sure I, I was doing shows and in the choirs and all of that. Johnny Appleseed, a name everybody knows. Travel across the land. That's how the story goes. <laughs> Part of my entering into uh, into performing was when we were younger, my mom would take us uh, to the library and she loved Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, and so we'd get those classic musicals. And so it was something that we bonded over, um, for sure. And, uh, yeah, she made, she made part of my, my, my little costume, my little, my little, uh, seed satchel that Johnny gets his seeds from and plants all over, all over the country. <laughs> I have an amazing family. Like I come from an amazing tight knit family, but theater gave me Theater taught me that chosen family is also necessary, regardless of the family you come from. People who have shorthand, who understand um, sort of experientially your experience, you know, that these are my people. Like, I just, I've, all, I, I've always known that actors and theater folk and people in the entertainment industry are my people, you know? Now you have to sift through some people and be like, you in particular are not my people, but, but yeah, I think on a, on a whole, I really feel like, yeah, this is my, this is, these are my people. They look effortlessly chic, first and foremost. They dress like they are a person who walk their own path and who don't need to conform in any way. So I imagine interesting color, interesting uh, silhouette for sure. Um, nothing that feels sort of like restrictive and tight. I think they look as racially ambiguous as possible. <laughs> I don't think they belong to anyone, do you know what I mean? Um, and what makes them lovable is that they really do lead with curiosity and heart and passion and they are unafraid to challenge you know i was closeted for a good amount of my youth um but i in high school i started um doing theater at a local community theater and that's when i really got to engage with theater outside of school. Like all the shows I'd done up until that point were, were school related. And in high school, I went to, uh, I went to a school, um, there was a consortium of schools in, in my county and there were three schools you could choose from. And each school had sort of like a discipline that they got more funding for. Um, and the school I chose got more funding for the arts. And so it had an amazing theater program and dance program and the facilities were state of the art. And so once I got there, I start I started to meet people who did theater outside of uh, school plays. And one of those people, Meredith Racklin, um, shout out Meredith, love you. She invited me to audition for this performing ensemble that she was a part of um, called The Young Americans of Washington. And from there, I just, I found my first real like 
community. It was like all of these people just do are into theater. The thing linking us is musical theater, you know? And once I was in that space, it was very easy to be out. Um, that's where I that's where I found my first boyfriend. Being around a bunch of other queer kids was like, oh, oh, this isn't just like some some feeling that I have been <laughs> trying to pray away, trying to like contend with all in my little corner. Like there are other people experiencing this too. Um, and once I had that realization, it became more about exploration than anything else, you know? It became about like, I, I, wanna, I wanna kiss boy. I, I, I wanna know what that feels like. I wanna, I wanna cuddle a boy, maybe sleep with a boy. I'm like, I don't, like, I, these are things that I could actually, that are actually possible, you know? Um, so yeah, I just, I, I fell pretty immediately in love because that's what you do when you're young and, you know, you, you finally find a way to express your fullness, you know? I feel like there's a lot of messaging out there right now around like, you should have a creative outlet even if you don't do this professionally, right? Like there is, what I love about it is my ability to like constantly be in touch with my creative self, to constantly be in touch with my inner child, my sense of wonder, my sense of curiosity. I'm constantly learning, you know? So yeah, I, there was, I think there was a point in my life where I believed that like you do X, Y, and Z and you arrive at a place and you're an adult and you're established and you have it all figured out. But something that I also feel like acting and theater and this community have given me are like this idea that like we'll change until the day we die. <laughs> you know, we will evolve and shift and grow until we don't anymore you know, which I love. I have been trying to work off of the bell hooks definition of love, right? In my personal relationships, but something like performing is so um, ephemeral and sort of like hard to touch that like, I feel like I have a different definition of love for this thing this this particular thing, right? And I think for me, love as it relates to performing and uh, this community is like immersion, like being completely lost, you know, losing any sense of tension or care. Like I need to get something done or this should happen. It's like, I can just float in this because it feels so good. Right. So I think as it pertains, yeah, as it pertains to performance, it feels like total immersion. Often what happens is a role will find me in a moment where I need to, there's something that I need to process. There's something about my personal humanity that I need to process. And this role is allowing me the opportunity to process that thing. It's interesting, right? Because like, these roles don't come from the ether. Maybe they come from the ether to a writer. Uh, a writer make, 
goes through that process and sort of like puts it all down on the page. What's on the page finds its way to a theater. An artistic director makes a decision about programming it. Like all of those things have to happen in order for this role to find its way to me. So like there's also a holding up by all of these artists along the way before the role even gets to me, right? There's there's people there are people who are writing a role for me to even process things to, right? So that's how the that I, that in that way I feel like the community is holding me up without me even knowing it. Right. People are continuing to make exciting work and work that um, requires my particular skill set, which is which is beautiful, I think. And also in other ways, like this shit is hard. Like it really is a difficult business to be in. And the like the support I get from my my friends who I just like. Can you know, call up at any moment and sort of be like, I had a really frustrating day. And they just, they just understand that. So there's that too, right? I said I wanted two things out of being an actor and that was to support myself and to have the respect of my peers because that means a lot to me. And another way I feel really held up by this community is that people aren't shy. People are vocal about their support. People are going to celebrate you loudly. And there is something about that that is so beautiful because this business is very, very good at finding ways to tear you down, to make sure that you're not celebrating yourself. And so having those people is so, so essential. I think one of the big ways, one of the big things that happened to help me to love myself was uh, doing slave play, um, that shifted a lot for me. And that has a lot to do with Jeremy's vulnerability in writing the play, but specifically the character of Gary and his ability to go so deep with this character really allowed it to be a mirror in some ways. And then forced me in my life to process those parts of Gary that felt like really unhealed, you know? Cause you know, when you put a role in your body, it's not like your mind doesn't know that it's play, like it's just living in your body. And so I was carrying around a lot of what this character was feeling. And this character goes on a journey of not loving themselves to really valuing themselves through that play. And I did that play over a three year period. So that was one, that was one thing that really taught me my value and that, yeah, I can love myself. And that love is actually not something that lives outside. Like it's something I have to give to myself. I am indebted to so many people in this community who live authentically and unapologetically. It's such a vast and long list. Like I couldn't even, like I can't, I don't even know where to begin, honestly. But there are, because we are creative people, we get to live in this space of imagining, yes, stories, but imagining ourselves and how we walk through the world, you know, reimagining ourselves constantly. We get to do that. And I have watched so many people 
so many of my peers, you know, say, yeah, I could do that job, but it's not aligned with me. They, it pays really well, but actually I think what I really want is, you know, like just just those little decisions are like, what am I actually contributing to? And is it aligned with who I say I am? You know, and that question that we're constantly having to ask as performers is it, it yeah, it's a it's a guiding it's a it's a guiding principle for me. I think two things are present when you recognize love. And one of those things is the absence of like violence. And that doesn't mean physical violence, it means like emotional emotional violence, mental violence, right? The absence of someone hurting you. <laughs> because listen, like conflict, yes, challenge, yes, hurt. That is not love to me, <laughs> you know, like uh, the app. So that's the first thing, the absence of hurt or, or violence. Yeah, love to me feels like a, a, a yes with my entire body. It feels like a loss of tension, you know, that was that's, you know, the our bodies know so much. And I would say that the the biggest sort of mag like magnifying glass I would use or lens I would use when trying to see if I can recognize love is to go to my body and be like, does this body feel like it's expanding toward this thing? Or if it's contracting, that's not love. It's just, yeah, it isn't love. And I feel like once you recognize it, a way to foster it is first of all transparency like by not being dishonest about what you're going through or how someone's behavior might affect you by just being really transparent and brave right and i think bravery like the thing i've really learned about bravery is that like it's not being uh, unafraid it's being afraid and acting regardless, right? So like, I think love brings up a lot of fear. Um, and I think that there's a way to say, eh, that's okay, but I'm gonna keep walking toward this. This is one of my favorite love songs. Um, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return i that was a song that played in my house a lot as a kid and i just remember being really young and being like i get this and kind of feeling like i shouldn't get this or something but like i i got it at a young age so yeah i think love is the greatest healing force that there is I think love is the greatest connective force there is. I think love is ultimately, you know, and I and I I use this word. I understand its weight um, and everything that it means, but to me, it means mystery. But I believe that love is God, actually, like the greatest mystery we know. <laughs> you know, I that's what I think love is. 
Have you ever been in love? Next question. Oh, and we are <laughs> moving on to the next pregunta, as they say in Spanish. Speaking Have country. you? I've been in love. I've been in love um, probably maybe like maybe like two or three times in my life. Mm-hmm. Third time is kind of wishy-washy. <laughs> uh, but I've only been in two relationships, and I was in love with both of them very much. But I also have a lot of love. When I go home for um, the holidays or to visit my family, my heart overruns with love. When I mm-hmm. talk to you and Monet Exchange, I have so much love. You know, when I do, when I, when I'm in a room full of people making them all laugh and they're all just, you know, just like, I can see people just like gasping for breath. They're laughing so hard and people come up to me and they say, I've had a really rough week. Like, you don't even, you don't know how much this laughter has meant to me. I do feel love in those moments. What do you think you feel love? Never. <laughs> Never? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh my God. Come on. I love fried chicken i love you ice cream you do popcorn <laughs> i Pop- love oh, get- popcorn you're gonna take no popcorn from me uh and Years ago, uh, we were at barracuda and pep uh showed up to the to the gig and she just had these like trays and tra- we were sitting in the audience because i was i'm, I'm was and, and still a huge peppermint fan we were everywhere all waiting for peppermint to show up and then she walks through the door and Pep comes in with a massive thing of fried chicken and she passes it out to everyone. <laughs> do you remember doing that? I do. I do. It was something that I would do frequently is I would feed the crowd and, and I would have fried chicken. We would have fried chicken and we'd have pizza nights sometimes. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to like bring, spend my little half, <clears throat> half the money I earned. Uh, oh, honey. <laughs> To to bring them some treats, you know, because I wanted it to be a, like a special experience. Um, and so, yeah, I loved doing that. I love New York City nightlife. I love New York. Uh, I love. There's so many things I have love for, and I guess love is the is the currency, the actual current and the currency that people speak in and deal in. You know, we have our love language, which people specifically, you know, sort of we coin that phrase as something that is an in, an intentional act of expressing love but i do think that we're expressing love when we just live our lives and communicate and connect with other people and just you know it's love right and so not to be um sound like a platitude but you know love literally i think makes the world go round all those things that you mentioned are love completely is in unrelated. The air. love is in the air Anyway, well, I love you, Pep, and I'm glad that we do this podcast together. I love you too. Um, we're off to such a great start. Yes, and oh, also, I want to say something out loud. If you're listening, we would really appreciate it if you can go to we Apple would love or it. Spotify. We would love it if you can go to Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a review. Tell us what you enjoy, specific moments. Uh, give us five stars. Tell us. Ask you, us questions us about us. what you'd like to hear on the podcast. You know, leave a comment about what you'd like to hear or see on the podcast so that we can look into it. Well, much love to all of you. And bring me some fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Special thanks to our production team, Charlene Westbrook, Tracy Marquez, Amelia Rittaller, and Corey Nixon. 
Now, listen, every episode of Town Hall, a Black Queer podcast, will have contributions from our listeners and our viewers. And if you keep an eye out uh, on me and Peppermint social media, maybe we'll hear from you very soon. This episode includes renditions of excerpts of Nat King Cole's 1948 song, Nature Boy, written by Eden Aves, as well as the traditional American folk song, Johnny Appleseed, as performed by Atu Blankson Wood. Enjoy. 